Welcome to Grass Talk Radio. This show is for people who play bluegrass music and anybody who might want to. The prison guard shut the iron door behind me. Howdy folks and welcome back to Grass Talk Radio. Today I am going to talk microphones and PAs. And I've already talked about some of this back in episode 42, which was called Playing Over PA Systems. And episode 43, which was PA system basics. I may hit on some of the same ideas. I haven't gone back and re-listened to those. But I think I'm going to put some new ideas in here that I did not cover. I, I was just recently going through my microphone case and looking at what I had and just kind of straightening out some things and got to thinking about microphones a bunch and I've also had a couple of recent experiences playing over microphones and PAs in general. And so I had this random jumble of thoughts running around in my head about microphones. And I thought, well, hey, what better thing to do than to sit down and turn the microphone on and just let it all come out here. And I hope that you'll find some things interesting uh, regarding microphones. You know, I think that some people place a, a heavy emphasis on microphones and that having the perfect microphone, getting the right microphone. I, I see these things on the internet where people are, Oh, what would be the best microphone for this or for that? And there's this endless debate about all these model numbers and styles and types. And one guy loves this microphone and the next guy, he hates that microphone, same microphone. For example, I love the AKG C1000S. I love that microphone. Tremendous workhorse microphone. I've used it for recording. I've played my mandolin over it. I first fell in love with it because our band used to play at a place called the Freight Room in Decatur, Georgia. And they had two of those, two of the old black ones, two of the old original black ones. And... When when I played my mandolin over that microphone, I liked it a lot better than playing over like, a, you know, an SM57 or something. So I determined that I'm going to get me one of those. And I ended up getting a pair of them and using for many years. In fact, I'm talking to you on that uh, one of those two microphones right now. But you go on the Internet and and search for just, just type in the model number of your favorite mic. And you're going to find people that are just bad mouthing them, talking them down, saying they're a piece of junk. They're, you know, hate that microphone. It's not really worth a crap. And, you know, it's just like everybody's got this, these opinions, but all I can say is that I've used that microphone in a tremendous variety of situations. And in particular for mandolin, I dearly love that microphone. But anyway, so I'm just thinking about microphones and stuff. And it it sort of dawned on me that I think a lot of people fool around with microphones, but they don't ever maybe stop and think about what what is this microphone really doing? What is it supposed to do? And here's here's what a microphone is supposed to do. It is the first option is the microphone is to capture the sounds you're making 
and transmit it to a recorder, some sort of audio recorder. That's the first function. It's what I'm doing right now. I'm talking into a microphone and it is being recorded with an old version of Audacity through a Mackie 1202 mixer. So that's, that's one function. Just capture the sound and send it on to something else or a recorder. The second thing is to take your sound, you or your band or any sound producing entity, and instead of sending it to a recorder, send it to an amplification system. Why does it do this? So that a larger group of people can enjoy that fabulous sound that you're making. That's all microphones do. Now I'm going to mostly in this episode talk about number two, using mics in performing situations. And I'm going to do that because that's where the majority of the problems occur. The misuse of microphones or the lack of taking advantage of how microphones function. That's where they become the most obvious. They're not that obvious in recording situations because when somebody records something, maybe in the isolation of their little home studio or just fooling around with their computer and their little, um, you know, USB mic in, input interface or home studio, whatever, the poorly recorded sounds generally don't make it into the mainstream and you don't hear them. You only hear the good stuff. And so all, all the bad stuff is deleted and thrown in the trash and you hear the good stuff where in live situations you hear the good and the bad. And all you have to do is go around and watch a bunch of bands and live performances and you're going to hear the good and the bad. But with recordings, people tend to not put out recordings that are bad. And there are thousands of super qualified expert engineers who know how to get good sounds into a microphone and onto a recording. And so you hear a lot of good stuff, you know, if it sounds bad, you do it over or change, change how you're doing it. But in live performance, that doesn't happen as much. People put a lot of really bad sounding stuff on stage. So, I'm going to talk, I'm going to stick with that application, sound reinforcement and live shows. First thing I want to take up is the, uh, the one mic myth versus the array of microphones. That is, you got a bluegrass band standing up there and there was one mic, usually a really cool retro looking, um, microphone that looks like it came from the 1940s or something. That's the, that's the cool thing to do today. And it was the cool thing to do back then too. Visually the mic looks great and you've got the band circle around it and they're playing the one mic thing and it's really traditional and retro and super cool. Well, that, that one mic setup versus you know, if you went to a bluegrass festival in the early eighties and the band is all lined up in a straight line and there's a microphone on every instrument and every voice, the line, you know, the line array of microphones, which you typically see at a lot of bluegrass festivals. So that's the two things I'm debating here. The one mic 
versus the microphone array. It's a real can of worms because it is really cool to play over one microphone and it's easier. You put the microphone out there. It's easier to hook up. You got less junk to tote around. It looks super cool. So it's easier, but it's also easy to sound really bad. So just in general, I'm, I'm not going to go into a hour long discussion of one mic versus the mic array because I don't favor one over the other. You might think that I favor the individual mics. I don't favor one over the other. What I favor is good sound. So if somebody's doing one mic and getting a great sound, then I favor that. And if they're getting a bad sound, I think, well, you know, they'd be a lot better off if they all had microphones and they had somebody mixing them properly. So I'm not really going to debate all that stuff here. I just want you to consider that, uh, in general, this one rule is probably true that one mic setups work better in quiet listening rooms. They, they work very well there. You know, if, if you're on a stage and you've got 350 people sitting in a theater and they are all quietly awaiting every note that you play and sing, in truth, you probably don't even need a PA. But if you position one microphone and all the musicians are two to three to four to five feet away from that microphone, it's almost like what comes out of the speakers is as if you were sitting on the stage, like they had a drawing and they picked one guy out of the audience and they, they put a little chair right dead center on the stage with the back of the chair facing the audience and they pick somebody out of the audience and they let them sit in that spot, right where that microphone stand is the head of the microphone stand right between his knees. You get to sit there and you've got these musicians. They're all within arm's reach of you. Some to the left, some to the right, some in the middle and they're moving in and out and you get to sit there in the middle and hear this thing. You've got the best seat in the house. And that's what that one mic is trying to do. It's trying to take that best seat in the house and send it to the people in the balcony and in the back row. So in a really quiet room, it works really well. Why doesn't it work in noisy rooms? You know, in the noisy beer joints and bars and stuff like that. And and you might think it does work, but I'm, I'm going to make the case that it doesn't work. The reason it doesn't work is picture you're playing in that noisy bar scene and you've got the exact same setup that we had in that beautiful old theater. The exact same positioning of the instruments and the exact same position of the microphone and they draw somebody out of the audience and he sits down in that best seat in the house, that chair with the microphone stand between his knees and he listens to the show. He's not just going to hear the band. He's going to hear all the racket and all the ruckus in the audience too. So he's not going to dig the show quite as much as if he got that honor at a theater or something. 
So this, this brings up the thing that I think a lot of people don't, don't realize about microphones is that microphones are stupid and they do not care. They, they don't know anything about the sound waves that are impacting the, the diaphragm or the coil or they, they don't know a microphone doesn't know and it doesn't care. It's a lot like a metronome, which doesn't care about you. The microphone just sits there sensing the vibrations and converting them into electrical signals and pumping them down a cable or a cord to some device. That's all it does. That is all a microphone does. But people impart a lot of other things onto it. Like they, they think that a microphone just hears them. That's well, not true. All you have to do is record a band in one room and put microphones on everybody and then just isolate the mandolin microphone and you're going to hear the banjo player in there too. Albeit at a lower volume, but that microphone doesn't know that it's supposed to only hear the, the mandolin. And therein comes the, the placement of baffles and gobos and isolation booths and all this kind of stuff to try to, to try to control what goes into all those microphones. But the point is the microphone does not care. And if you want a real eye opening experience, I, I, I suppose I should say an ear opening experience to give you a better understanding of what microphones do, do this, get yourself a little mixer, like my little Mackie 1202 that's sitting over here, get yourself a mixer, microphone and a cord, maybe just something like an SM 58. doesn't really matter what kind of microphone you use. Use something that might be similar to what might be used on a stage and then go to a bar or restaurant and bring a mic stand and stick the microphone up on the stage and point it towards the non present band. And then do it when there's not a band performing, you know, like there's a Mexican restaurant and everybody's eating and talking and there's a little stage over there. You come in with your, your little mixer and your microphone and your microphone stand and your cord. And then just sit there with some good headphones on some closed cup headphones so that the only thing you hear in your ears is what comes out of that mixer. And preferably do this when nobody is performing and there's no house music going. Just room noise. Now you put on your headphones or you could record this and listen to it later. Just sit there and listen to what that microphone is hearing. It's hearing the people, the dishes, the silverware, the air conditioner, every sound in that room, you will be amazed at what you can hear through that microphone. Now compare that to the typical thing. The typical mindset is that you put a microphone on stage in that same room and you point it towards the fiddle player or the banjo or whatever. And you, you put the headphones on and you set the level and stuff. And you think, wow, this microphone is picking up the banjo. That's not all it's picking up. It's picking up the entire, it's picking up everything because it's stupid and it doesn't know. 
It doesn't know that it's only supposed to pick up the, just the banjo sounds and ignore that waiter dropping that pan of dishes. Okay, so now imagine that your, your, your band is up there playing and you've got a microphone up there and you feed that into the amplifier and then up to those main speakers. Maybe they're hanging from the ceiling or sitting on stands or whatever. And you take the sound of the band and you pump it into that amplifier and you pump it out to the room. Well, if you listen, if you listen over those headphones or record it and listen to it later, you're not just hearing the band. You're also hearing the room. And if it's a, a noisy Mexican restaurant, which I played for eight years every Thursday night in a noisy Mexican restaurant with a bluegrass band. So I know what, what I'm talking about here. When you listen, let's say you made a recording off the board. It doesn't matter if it's one mic or eight mics or ten. If you make a recording and then you go home and listen to that recording, listen in between the songs. Just listen to what's going on. There's a lot of racket that's going through your board. Well, guess what? It's also coming out the speakers. Admittedly, your banjo and your guitar and all these things are louder than the audience, but there's this, even though we may not be getting feedback, we're not to the point of feedback, but the audience noise is being amplified and sent back into the audience. And this is a thing that a lot of people don't realize about playing live sound, especially in like fun places like bars and restaurants. This is strange, but true. If, if you're up there playing, and I've seen this so many times, people being annoyed by, this, by the sound level of the crowd. They're getting really loud. They're distracting. That tendency is to reach over and turn the PA up a little bit. It, it doesn't help. Believe it or not, that master control in that situation that master control of the house speakers is also a volume control of the audience. Because when you turn that thing up, you're turning you up, but you're also turning them up. All that racket in that room is going through your PA and going back into the room. Well, now you just made it more noisy and two things happen. They have to get even louder because they can't hear each other. And they start talking louder. And if you've ever spent a, in a, an evening in a, in a beer joint in Athens, Georgia, like I did after the Del McCurry show, spend about three hours in a place with really loud music and everybody is has to be really loud to hear each other over that. And you wake up in the morning with a near case of laryngitis because... It's like you've been yelling for hours on end. Well, if you want to control the noise level, the ambient noise level that's up there distracting you and, you know, causing you to not be able to play at your best. If you want to do that, there are two ways to control the noise of the crowd. I'm going to talk about the best way first. And in, in some situations, 
this isn't appropriate. It, it depends. But this is the best way to control the noise level of the audience. It has nothing to do with the PA system. It's called learning how to entertain. Learn how to engage the audience. Learn how to have them eaten out of the palm of your hand. Learn how to keep them interested in what you're doing. Because when people are interested, they're a lot quieter. That story or that joke or what was happening, all that talk ceases when they become interested in you. And I love to see a performer or band who can do this. And you don't see this at every, in every situation because if you go to a bluegrass festival and the custom is to be quiet and listen to the bands, you don't know if that band can really like reach out and draw the audience in and hold their attention or not because the rules, the established social norms are that you sit there and be quiet and listen to the band and clap and respond at the end. So their only measure of how well they are performing as an entertainer is the applause at the end or the spontaneous cheers and applause in the middle of the song, which are usually squelched pretty quickly because you got to get back into those rules of at this place, we don't carry on conversations in the front row. And let, let's say if you had a gig and you were opening for Doc Watson, something I did about 10 times when I was with Cedar Hill. When you walked out on stage, they're, they're applauding because the show is starting. And then when you hit that first note, you could hear a pin drop in that place. I mean, everybody got quiet because the social norms, the rules for being an audience member there were when the performer's performing, shut up, quit talking, be quiet. And that's what people did. So there's very few problems in hearing yourself. So you're at this festival and you're watching this band perform and it seems like they have the rapt attention of the audience, but it could be they're boring and they're not that good. And the audience is just being quiet because they're supposed to be quiet. So you don't really know the real master of entertaining can go into a beer joint, maybe with some pool tables going in the back. And a lot of racket and a lot of cut. Everybody's just having a great time. And the performer gets on stage. If this person is a true entertainer in a few minutes, even the pool players have stopped in between their shots with the pool cue, just sitting on the ground. And they're listening to what the guy on stage all the way at the other end of the bar is saying, that's a real entertainer. And I've seen a few people like that. Uh, there was a guy down in Key West I've mentioned before, Adrian. Adrian was that guy, just one guy and a guitar. And he could stop a freight train in its tracks and get that freight train to pay attention to his joke. It was fascinating. And I think Cedar Hill, you know, did that a lot um, when I was with them. But you have to remember in certain places, Trying to do that will just be a frustration to you because the purpose of certain gigs is not to listen to you. We played a many a happy hour at a convention 
you know, you're playing from four to six in a room and it's an open bar and people are networking and chit chatting and you're over there in the corner. That is not the gig to try to mold those people into an audience and get them all to stop their conversations and look at you and get involved. Sometimes it's just not the place for it. So you just do the best you can in those situations. But sometimes there are places where, you know, that quiet attention is a rule. Like we played at Eddie's attic in Decatur, Georgia, a few times. They have a big sign right beside the stage. If I can find a picture of it, uh, I'll put it on my show notes page for this episode. And it's a, it's basically a, a large poster with the rules of no talking. If you're going to talk, go out. <laughs> and uh, so that makes that place a really great listening room. You know, if you're coming there just to, you know, bar hop and pick up chicks or something, you know, just take it to the back bar. <laughs> Don't do it in that room. So those kind of places, it's hard to know whether you have that ability or not. So the real testing ground for this are beer joints, pizza joints, restaurants, places where people are having a good time and they're being a little too noisy for your liking. Well, why don't you work on those skills to see if you can take that crowd and earn their attention? I, I get so mystified by some people who spend so much tr time trying to create fabulous music and spend no time on trying to learn how to capture an audience. So spend a little time on that. In fact, the truth is you can be less of a musician and better at that. And people will like you a lot more and you'll make more money and you'll get more gigs. It isn't always about how great you are at music. Sometimes it's about how good you are at entertaining. And by that, I don't, it, I don't mean it always has to be jokes and, you know, slapstick and things like that. Those things do work in certain situations, but there are other types of entertaining where you can draw people into your heart wrenching stories and tales and, and lead them through music and things you say to them and just, you know, break people's hearts in the audience or lift them up out of their depression or whatever. A lot of musicians don't spend much time learning how to do that. And I'm suggesting that if, if noise issues, the audience noise is a problem, that's probably the best place to start is learn to be an entertainer. And just little things sometimes make a huge difference. You'd be surprised. You just watch a good entertainer and then just copy a couple of things that they do and then try it. And you'll be amazed how people begin to enjoy what you're doing. And it feels really good. And it sounds better. Okay, so now the second way, and this is a more technical way, and it's sort of counterintuitive, and that is the, the crowd's getting noisier and you reach over, I, I mentioned this before, and you begin to turn the PA up. Just turn it up a little bit. It's getting so loud in here, I can't, nobody can hear. Let's just turn this thing up a little bit. No, it's the other way around. It's weird. Very counterintuitive. What you want to do is reach over and turn the PA down a little. 
they might bring the monitors up, which isn't going to affect the audience as much. But those main speakers, that is the volume control for you and your band and your show output. But it's also the volume control of the audience. And if you don't believe this is true, at your next gig, where the audience is pretty loud and you're up there playing and you're pretty loud and you got the PA dialed in just at the point of feedback and you're doing all you can do. Just, just pay attention at the next gig at the end of a song, but don't listen to your band. Listen to the audience level. The audience is, is the, the racket, the ruckus. Listen to that. At the moment you end the song, you will hear the audience drop down about 10 dB at least. Now they don't have to yell as loud. They don't have to yell across the table to their girlfriend, you know, or yell to the bartender or whatever. They don't have to yell as much because you are suddenly a lot quieter because you're in between songs. If you really want to try it, uh, our band, when I was, um, well, actually, several bands, but we had some arrangements where we're, we're playing along, you know, full bore. And then suddenly, bam, there is a stop and quiet. And then maybe, you know, a little acapella thing or some pickup notes. And then it starts back up again, you know, some sort of dead quiet places within an arrangement. And those sound really good in those listening rooms and theaters and opening act gigs and stuff like that. But in a bar, Sometimes the audience doesn't even notice it. If you haven't roped them in and turned them and molded them into an audience, sometimes they don't even notice what you're doing up there and you just stopped. Well, pay attention at those places. When you get dead quiet, the audience is suddenly going to get a lot quieter. And we had a couple of tunes that just had this abrupt ending. And then maybe some little finish about four seconds later that started this really abrupt ending. And I have many times heard somebody in the audience just yak, 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 yak. They're talking real loud, and you're coming up to that ending point, and you stop. And they go, yak, 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 whoop. And they, they look embarrassed, and they look toward the stage, and they, they realize they were yelling. And they get real quiet. And then you start up again, and the crowd starts talking. Well, that means that you're really not, you don't have the audience eating out of the palm of your hand. And sometimes, honestly, you shouldn't. If you're just those guys in the corner just making some racket and people really could care less, couldn't care less. Maybe it's maybe at that place on that given day, it's not your job to mold them into an audience and get them to listen to every one of your stupid jokes and stories and hang on every note and every chord. You know, I admit there are places you just go in and you make some racket and everybody's having a good time and you go home and you realize that, eh, who knows? We don't know how that sounded. But just remember that principle. If you got a PA and you're in a noisy situation, try turning it down. Try turning the audience down, which is the mains that's you going out into the audience. Try turning your, your mains down. And maybe make up for it by boosting the monitors a little bit. Okay, enough about all that. I'm just going to rattle through a bunch of uh, microphone, just some random thoughts about microphones, stuff I've witnessed and so forth. And the first one is, 
let's say you got a band or a jam and they're playing in a in some kind of a joint and they've got a little PA system, a couple of speakers, and they to help the audience hear the band better, they park a, a microphone kind of in the middle of the circle. And uh, they tap on it a few times and talk into it to see if it's working. And they hear it coming out of the speakers. And so they go, great, this is great. This will help amplify the band. And everybody in that little band is three to five feet away from that microphone. And somebody got the idea that if we get a really big condenser mic, it'll pick up better. So they, they got this really large condenser mic in the middle. Everybody's three to five feet away from it. And it's barely turned up because if you turn it up anymore, it's just going to feed back. And that's their setup. They feel like they're helping send the band sound out into the room better because they parked that microphone in the middle. And in fact, all they've done is turn the audience up because they've, they've, they're not only carrying the band sound, but also the audience racket is going through that microphone too. It is no way rejected by that microphone. And so the audience just gets louder and it becomes like this self-defeating, um, vicious circle, a vicious cycle. Um, so anyway, and so to counter that, sometimes they'll have a couple of mics. They'll have this other mic, maybe like a 58 sitting on a stand. And that way the lead singer, when he's singing, he can, they'll swing that over to him and he can sing into that microphone. And then the other mic is three to five feet away from everybody, just adding to the room racket and not really doing much of anything productive. And when that singer leans in and sings on that one close mic, that one 58, you know, all of a sudden the audience kind of perks up and seems to notice what's going on. And they're actually hearing some guy sing up there. And, but one thing you're guaranteed, if you do that kind of thing, you are guaranteed of a really rotten mix because if you were at the back of the room standing way back in the corner, just leaning up, leaning up against the wall, listening to this group, what you would hear is a lot of audience noise and you'd hear this sort of muddy band sound mixed with some reproduced audience sound coming through the one mic. And then you'll hear this other guy close mic and it just singing his guts out. And that's it. It's like, you got one thing and then this mush behind it, and that's the mix. It's terrible. So I, I think just in general, those kind of, hey, if we stick a mic out here, we'll, we'll be able, you know, the audience will be able to hear us. I think it's generally just a recipe for disaster in these kind of noisy, fun beer joints and restaurants and stuff. You might actually do better just to put the PA away. Learn to play acoustically. You, you'll be surprised. It's not that different. And the audience will be quieter because you're not drowning out their conversations with your stupid PA up there. <laughs> Sometimes better just turn the stupid thing off and, and forget that extra mic. And if, if nobody can hear the guitar player playing his fancy lead solo, maybe you're just playing in the wrong kind of place. You know, noisy pizza joints aren't the place for your fabulous solo guitar. You know, it's just not going to work. Now, you could, as I would suggest, do a lot better if in that situation you had a full array of microphones for everybody and you had individual control over everybody's volume level.
and you'll have a lot better signal to noise ratio because the closer you put that microphone to the banjo, you can turn it down, 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 down to where that mic is not really picking up the audience that much in relation to the banjo. So there's a lot less reamplified room noise and audience noise because the gain is lower. It's, it's so much better. Take that same little jam session of six guys sitting in the corner at a pizza joint, which I do every Tuesday night, stick a, stick a microphone on each person and turn the house sound down a little bit, bring the monitors up and you're going to have a happy band. They can hear themselves. You may not have the world's greatest mix, but trust me, it's going to be 10 times better than the so-called mix you're getting with that one big mic stuck out in the middle of the circle, just adding to the room noise. Okay, I'm going to wrap this up with a couple of random do's and don'ts and just some random thoughts, and I'm going to get out of here. Uh, number one, keep your hands off microphones. You don't need to flip the switch. It's probably already on, tapping on it, whistling into it, scratching on it, saying check, check, check. This is especially true when it's somebody else's mic and somebody else is working it. He, you know, the sound guy just may not have that mic even on at this point, you know? So anyway, I've talked about that in another episode, but touching the microphones with your hands typically does not make them sound better. Second thing, uh, this is just random thoughts. Um, mic stands. I really like those round dinner plate sized cast iron bases. I'd much rather have, let's say I was singing and playing the mandolin. I'd much rather have two stands like that. One for my vocal and one for my mandolin than two tripods. Tripods are cheaper and lighter and they're very popular because they're cheaper and lighter. But those cast iron bases, you can set two of those beside each other and not eat up so much real estate on the floor. You take two tripods and you start getting all those interlacing feet of the tripods and they're just, and they're always in the wrong place and you can't get the mic stands close enough together. Generally speaking, I don't like tripods unless I got a lot of room on the stage and I could put a boom on top and move those tripods away from my feet. So, hey, I like them cast iron bases. Um, number three, if you use monitors, aim the back end of the mic like a rifle at the center of that monitor. You may lose a little off the front end in terms of the uh, sensitivity on the front, you know, assuming it's a cardioid microphone. But uh, what you're trying to do is aim that null at the, the most likely offensive sound source for feedback, and that'd be that monitor down there at your feet. Aim that mic like a rifle barrel at the monitors. Number four, if you handhold microphone, if you're a singer, or maybe you've been asked to get up with the band and, or you're going to do some announcements or something, don't cup your hand around the microphone. If you, if you grab the ball of the microphone in, in the palm of your hand and cup your fingers around that microphone, you're essentially turning that cardioid microphone into an omnidirectional microphone. And you're almost guaranteed to get some feedback when you do that. If you don't believe this, just reach up sometime in the middle of a in-between song. Just reach up and cup your hands around that microphone. Many times you can force feedback that way. Because if you don't have the, the, all the sound ports on that microphone open 
then the, the directional pattern changes and becomes omnidirectional. And, uh, Hey, an Omni mic is going to hear those monitors or mains and you're going to get feedback. Number five, if you hear some feedback and you, you've got a sound man or one of the band members is the, is the sound guy. I've seen this so many times where you hear this feedback and it's this tone like, and some guy to prove his prowess at a feedback expert will begin to sing that note into the microphone to like make it more feedback. So to help the sound guy find that frequency, don't do that. You know, if the sound man is any good, he already heard it and he's got a general idea of what frequency it is. You get up there and, trying to force feedback. I've heard people get up there and go boo, 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 into the microphone and it's just feedback like crazy. Just stop that. The audience doesn't appreciate it. So don't sing the feedback pitch back into the microphone. Okay. It's just very unprofessional. Okay. Uh, random thought number six, if you use condenser mics that have battery compartments, they have their own batteries. But if you're always running them on a, on a PA system that has phantom power, don't leave the batteries in there. I've made the mistake before of leaving a nine volt battery in a, in a microphone, a good, good microphone. And you know, the battery leaks and eats up the uh, little springs and battery terminals and stuff. So if you're not really using those batteries, put them aside, leave them out of the microphone so they don't corrode and foul up your microphone. Do carry the batteries because you may be in a playing situation who does not have phantom power and you need that battery, you know, but just don't leave them in the microphones. You're just asking for that green, cruddy, uh, verdigree or, you know, I don't know what you call it. Uh, number seven, learn how to work a microphone. Quit being so microphone shy. And this is in particular, particularly true for individual miking of all the people. Um, although I, I suppose learning to work a microphone with a one mic setup is pretty important too, but generally don't be so microphone shy, especially if you're individually mic'd, get on that microphone, eat the microphone, have those, have your lips touching or nearly touching that microphone as much as you can. The sound man is going to love you. If you're in and out and all over that microphone, He's going to be chasing you and eventually give up and you're just going to have a bad mix. Get in there, get in there. If you're a quarter of an inch away from the screen of that SM 58 all the time, when you're singing, that's where you sing. Then the sound man is going to be able to dial you into a nice blend. Stay there. Plus you're going to get that proximity effect. Your, your tinny scratchy voice is going to sound really rich and full because of proximity effect, which I'm not going to talk about. I might've, I might've already talked about that in a different episode, either in 42 or 43 proximity, proximity effect is your friend. It's what makes you sound like a guy on the radio, you know? <laughs> so, uh, number eight, I'm going to get through these real fast. Stay on the mic when you're talking and singing. Uh, I sort of was alluding to that, but I want to say don't swivel. You you orbit the microphone. I've seen a lot of people, I'm, I'm going to demonstrate it right now, speaking to the audience and going, 
Howdy, folks, and we're just proud to be here for our little part of the show. And they look to their right, and they start sounding just like this right here. And they say, our banjo player over here is uh, Jim Bob from this great state of Ohio. And over here on my left is our fiddle player. Uh, tell, them, tell them where you're from there, uh, and so on. And then they're back. That's swiveling. Your head is pointing away from the microphone. I'm to the right. Now I'm back to the middle. Now I'm back to the left. You, could, you, you hear it. Don't do that. What you do is you orbit the microphone. If you're going to turn to your right, you lean around to the left and you talk across the front of the microphone. I'm now facing my right, just like I was before, and you still hear me just fine. Now I'm back in the center, and now I'm orbiting, and I'm now looking right at that fiddle player, but I'm talking right across the front of the microphone, and that keeps the sound a lot more balanced. I'm rotating back and forth in 180 degrees right now. Now, here I'll do the same thing, and I'm going to swivel. I'm turning to the right, I'm coming back to the middle, and I'm turning to the left. So don't do that. Don't swivel your neck like some kind of bobblehead. Orbit the microphone. Maintain your distance from the microphone and orbit. Okay. Last two things. Uh, the sound hole of your instrument is not always the best place for your microphone, despite the fact that it's generally the loudest place. So that's all I'm going to say about that. And last thing, take care of your microphones and cables. Don't just chunk them in bags. And, you know, if, especially if you borrow someone else's microphones, take good care of them. Uh, don't lose the, uh, the uh, little foam windscreens and stuff. Just at the end of a gig, I know sometimes at the end of a gig, it's easy to be careless. But take the time. Put the... I used to care. I, one time I went to Walmart and I bought a, a sack of tube socks, just like your basic cotton tube socks, brand new socks. And I just used those socks, beautiful white, brand new tube socks. And at the end of the night, everybody's handing me microphones. So I dropped each one in a sock and then laid it in the bag. For one thing, I always, I always knew if I needed a pair of socks, I had, had a couple of extra pairs, but you know, it keeps them from getting so ugly and scarred, you know, scarred up and beat up. Okay, this is absolutely enough rambling about microphones. I hope you learned something from my 40 years of experience of making racket over microphones. Thanks to everybody who is, I really, really appreciate the people who have become Grass Talk Radio supporters or who have bought any of my instructional material over on BradleyLaird.com. That's what's keeping all this going. So if you like what you're getting, support me. And I'll support you. It's like trade, you know. I love to trade. Anyway, thanks a bunch for that. And I'll talk to you in the next podcast.